Second Timothy chapter three this morning. Second Timothy three. It is really good to be here this morning. <clears throat> this time last week I was in Armenia. An exciting opportunity. I got to preach to thirty Muslim people. No, not all of them were Muslim, but the vast majority of them were Muslim people. And we got to go through the gospel with them. I was preaching, and another man was preaching. He was interpreting as well. Uh, it's always interesting to work through an interpreter. It takes twice as long to get anything across, and then you're not even sure what he said because I don't know. Uh, what he was saying, right? Um, but but I, I trust that he was saying most of what I what I was saying anyway. Uh, but these people were fascinating. Uh, they um, one lady, uh, lady in her thirties, sitting, you know, about halfway down this auditorium from me. Uh, we would have a question time because you just wanted to make sure they were actually getting what was being said. And she said, "But if I do this, they will kill me." And I thought. That puts a whole different slant on the gospel completely. You know, we live in a place where the gospel is so free and so easy that we almost, we almost neglect the, the glory of the gospel. And what happened was she was actually getting it. She was understanding. The Spirit of God was, was switching on the lights for her, and she was counting the cost, what it would cost, cost her when she went home. Seven of them uh, said that they wanted to trust Christ. Now, they weren't likely to do it. Nobody's going to come forward with an invitation because you don't know who's, who else is in the group and who's going to uh, <clears throat> bring your name to the authorities when you go back. So nobody's, nobody's likely to actually do it in a group. But uh, seven of them uh, declared the fact that they wanted to privately and um, will, probably will do. So do pray for them. Um, uh, that's a whole different challenge, isn't it? Uh, it's a whole different idea as far as the gospel is concerned. We've got to spend some time with Frank and Edel. Do pray for Frank and Edel. Um, you know, being away as a preacher um, is kind of refreshing sometimes, and in other ways, it makes you appreciate what you've got. And this is one of those occasions when I really appreciated our church. I think we've got a great church. I think that God is doing a work here. It's not because we're great. It's not because I'm great, but because we've got a great God, and he's doing a work here. But it made me think about here, and it made me rejoice and thank God for what we do have here that God has actually taken us and, and done a work on us. And what I want to do over these next few weeks, I want to preach three messages. And I want to just underline who we are and where we stand. Because, you know what, I see churches everywhere going west, just losing their edge, just losing where they are, uh, and, and slipping away. And that's a grief to me. But you know what, it would be a dreadful grief to me. If we were to slip and move away, that would be a dreadful grief. So we need to underline from time to time where we are and where we stand, and we need to <clears throat> keep things right. Now, every organization has a distinct flavor, doesn't it? Uh, even if you go to look at the shop, go shopping, uh, some of you like to go to Marks and Sparks, some of you like to go to Dunn Stores, and some of you would like to go to Brown Thomas, but you probably don't have the money, all right? <clears throat> but it's nice to go and look around. But if you go into each of those shops, uh, they all have their own flavor. They're all appealing to a certain kind of people. They're trying to garnish, uh, you know, a clientele from the crowd and bring them in and make them their own. <clears throat> and they seek to give the customer what they want in order to draw them in. That's what organizations do. That's right and fine in shops. But when it comes to churches, the picture is, or at least should be, different. Oftentimes, what you're seeing out there with churches is you're seeing churches doing exactly the same thing. They're trying to create a flavor so they can draw people in. They're trying to make the church attractive to the people on the outside. But the church is primarily supposed to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's his church. 
See, he's the, he's the proprietor, and it's his job to bring the people in. And it's very easy for us to forget that. You know, we can look at <clears throat> LifeGate, and uh, when I came here 20 years ago this year, <clears throat> when I came here 20 years ago, we were running 40 or 50 people. And now we've got sometimes 180 people on a Sunday morning. And if somebody were to say to me, well, what was the plan? How did you do it? I would have to honestly say, I didn't. And there was no plan that God did it. God actually, as we were faithful to him, God did the work of bringing people in. You see, that's his job. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's his job. His job is to draw people in. Our job is to be faithful to him and to look to him and to please him. Now, we seek to please the Lord with the confidence that when he is is pleased, he will build his church. So our focus as a church is and always needs to be uh, a passion to please him. What we want is we want him to look down on our services, on our church, on our lives, and smile. And if we achieve that, that's it. That's all we need. That's all we need. We don't need anything more. He will do the rest. He will draw them in. Um, now, our name, LifeGate Bible Baptist Church, is, a, is an interesting name. I wasn't around when it, when it was chosen. Some of you were. Um, it's a long name, isn't it? LifeGate Bible Baptist Church. That's a long name. I've, I've, often, <clears throat> I've often bemoaned how long the name is, right? But when you sit down and start, start looking at what part of it would we take out, you get stumped pretty quickly, right? <clears throat> I mean, LifeGate's wonderful because it talks about the idea that we're evangelistic, right? Um, we're, we're a gate to life. Uh, Bible, well, I mean, there's no way you could touch Bible in the name, is there? Uh, <clears throat> Baptist, we wouldn't touch in the name, and, uh, and um, the, the church obviously can't come out of it, so, you know, uh, <clears throat> we're kind of stuck with this long name. Now, we did fudge it. When it came to the Christian school, we called it LifeGate Christian School because I really didn't think that we could look, put LifeGate Bible Baptist Christian School and fit it on a four-year-old's jumper, right? So... <laughs> So, so we called it Lightgate Christian School, right? But uh, my job as pastor, part of my job at least, is to see that we stand in the same place and that we continue on. My job is to actually keep things uh, pleasing to the Lord as best I can. That's all our job. But we need to understand that that's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, so over the next three, three weeks, we're going to look at what makes Lifegate the church it is. There's really three reasons. There's the reason of of our doctrine or our teaching. Then there's our philosophy. And then there's uh, our practice as a church. And we need to look at those three different areas and and let the Lord work in our hearts and show us who we are because we need to underline it. You see, the reality is that if LifeGate's going to stay on track and be the kind of church it should be and stay that kind of church, it can't be just me. It has to be all of us. You see... God wants there to be a unity in the church. He doesn't want it to be just, you know, uh, one person or a handful of people that are holding it together. He wants there to be unity. Roy Hessian has a wonderful expression, uh, illustration rather. Uh, he, he, he talks about a cup, and he says that <clears throat> when you have a complete cup, you can fill it with a lot of water. But if you break the cup, you can get little water in it, but it's only going to be little drops of water in the scraps that are, that are left in the cup. And God wants us to be a unified church. It's no accident in the book of Acts, uh, chapters 1 and 2, when we talk about the Spirit falling, the three times it says, of one accord. The, The people were of one accord. They were all together and of one accord. 
We need to have unity in the church if we're going to know the full blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the church. And that means that all of us have to get involved. All of us have to be part of it. And always, all of us have to kind of <clears throat> hold up where we're at and be a part of what we are as a church. I honestly believe that God is not finished with LifeGate as far as growth is concerned yet. Um, I couldn't have predicted when he was going to make the church grow before, and I can't do it this time either. But you know what? I believe that God has got good things for us. I believe that God intends to, to move us and change us. There's always going to be difficulties and problems, but I believe that God has a work to do uh, in this church and that he's going to use us to reach out to other people. I honestly believe in the year 2000 when we saw revival come, <clears throat> we, we didn't pray for it because we didn't know to pray for it. We knew he had a need, but the Spirit of God came and did a work. And I almost can't get over the idea it was just a foretaste of what God wants to do in our church. That that was just a taste of what God wants to do. That he is more he wants to do in our church. Now, sometimes you look around and you think, man, this doesn't look very spiritual. And, you know, it's not because we're great because we're not. But it's because he's great. And as long as we stay in the right place and look to him, we can expect him to do great things because God's in the business of doing great things. God's in the business of taking uh, small things and making them great because that's just who he is. And he's the one we seek to please, and he's the one that we look to do that work. Let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to look at our distinctive doctrine as a Baptist church this morning. Father in heaven, would you bless us now as we look to you? Lord, we need your hand upon us, Lord. We need your will and your way. Lord, it's not enough for us to have a plan. It's not enough for us to stand upon a certain territory. Lord, we need you, and we need your hand, and we need your power. Lord, would you bless in this time? Would you draw us together as a church? Would you unify us as we look to these things? In Jesus' precious name, amen. Right, we're going to start 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> reading from verse 14 through 17. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Right? So we have the scripture, and the scripture is given us to furnish us, uh, to enable us, to equip us for all good works. That's what God is doing. God is giving us the word of God to help us. Now, we need to understand that as a Baptist church, first and foremost, we stand upon the word of God. If people ask me what's the difference between a Baptist church and, any, and, and several other churches, I will say, well, uh, the, the first thing about a Baptist church is that the Bible uh, is our word of faith and practice. What the Bible says is what we do uh, and... Um, <clears throat> It's always going to be what we're doing. And as a church, we have to understand that the Word of God is supreme uh, as far as our church is concerned. That we always have to be obeying the Word of God. That we always have to be looking to the Word of God. I mean, if we find some area of doctrine in our church that doesn't agree with the Word of God, then we need to change because we need to agree with the Word of God. The Word of God is supreme. We don't have, you know, a church practice, a church tradition like the Catholic Church. We don't have an authority that's above the Word of God. The Word of God is our authority. Now, there's a problem for us as far as the Word of God goes, because <clears throat> we know a lot of the Word of God. If you've been coming here any time, you've been reading your Bible, if you've been saved for any length of time, you know a lot of the Word of God. We have a lot of the Word of God tucked in in our hearts. But the problem for us comes in this. 
that it's what we know of the Word of God and what we apply of the Word of God in our personal lives, that's, that's where the difference comes. See, it's easy for us to know what the Bible says and yet not do it. I dare say that everybody in this room has an area in their lives where they know what the Bible says, but for one reason or another, they're not doing it. And that's our problem. Our problem, our issue is that we need to take the Word of God and we need to do the Word of God. You know, a Baptist church stands on the Word of God, but it really is pitiful for us to stand upon uh, the Word of God and not to do it in our lives. You know, for us to take the Word of God and then not to apply it in our lives. Now, listen, you're encouraged to spend as much time as you possibly can in the Word of God. You know, in devotions, uh, be in church, uh, have family devotions. By the way, parents... Uh, you have a responsibility to teach your children the Word of God. And you know when you get to do that? When they're little. When they're little, they can sit around you and they need to learn the Word of God. You have a responsibility to, to, to teach them. Mothers, fathers, listen, make sure that you're spending time daily teaching your little ones the Word of God because the world is teaching them all kinds of things all the time. It's always on. It's always switched on. It's always telling them things. You make sure that you take the opportunity and the time to teach them the Word of God, particularly while they're small, so they get a hold on it, so they get a grip of it. <clears throat> they, they, they need to know that. Um, but they need to know that and they need to obey that. Now, you know, one of the biggest problems for us in, in obeying the Word of God is we look at other people that don't obey it, that know it and don't obey it, and that becomes a problem for us. I want you to look at me at Matthew chapter 7, though. Matthew 7. Verse 24. <clears throat> Jesus speaking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount uh, is a magnificent sermon. The, the, it, it, there are words that at the time just confounded everybody that heard them, and they have been studied and books and books written upon them because of their depth and their power and all that they mean. I mean, if you had to take a sermon and apply it to your life, you couldn't really start in a better place than the Sermon on the Mount. But if you actually applied the Sermon on the Mount to your life, you would be transformed. The Sermon on the Mount would make you like Jesus. It's powerful in its truth. But here's what Jesus says at the end of it. Because here's what we want to catch as far as the word is concerned. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now normally, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I like to ask people, what makes the difference between a wise man and a fool? And usually they say, doing the word, hearing the word. But you know, the wise man and the fool in this story both heard the word. They both actually heard. The wise man and the fool both heard. Jesus said, <clears throat> he said, um, the, I, I, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, uh, I will liken them to a wise man, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. The difference between a wise man and a fool is not hearing. It's doing. It's application. 
You see, we know much of the Word of God, but we need to take and we need to apply it. And as a church, as a people, as individuals, the key to living life successfully for us is applying the Word of God. It's taking the Word of God and applying it in my life. It's actually doing what God tells me to do. Without reserve, without question, taking and doing it. Not, not, you know, not weakening it, not diluting it, not doing a little bit less than that, but doing all that the Word of God says to me to do. You know, when I'm, when I'm confronted with some truth from the Word of God and the Spirit of God says, that's for you, I need to do it. Now, how do I need to do it? Well, I need to go out of this place. Let's say I hear something in the sermon this morning and um, I, I, I walk out of this place. I need to be making plans how I'm going to actually do it. You see, I can raise my hand. I can come forward in the service. I can pray. But if I walk out that door and don't make changes to my life, I'm a fool. Because I've heard, but I've not done. And God wants us to take the word of God and to apply it to our lives. And to do it. Now you're going to say to me, well, look, what I'm waiting for is revival. Because revival will, 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 will change me. Do you know that revival doesn't change you? I was thinking about this. You know, we, we, we tend to think, you know, in, in the year 2000, the Spirit of God came through and revival changed us. It, it didn't. That's not the way it happened. And the Spirit of God blew through the church and he made us all very aware of God and very aware of his word. And in as much as we took his word and applied his word and did his word, we were changed. And if we didn't do that, you know what happened after the revival was over? We were pretty much in the same place. Because it's the Word of God and the application of the Word of God that actually changes us. And you see, now we got all kinds of problems when we don't let the Word of God change us, when we don't let God do what He wants to do in our lives. All kinds of difficulties come into our lives. Because we have to reconcile a life that's not right with the Word of God. And um, what we do there is we, we create a new theology. Now, one of my teachers in college, he would say that your theology springs from your life. In other words, how you live is going to produce your theology. Your picture of God is going to be based upon what you do with his word. Because nobody can live with the fact that they're a bad person. Right? You know, it doesn't matter how bad somebody is, when you talk to them, they will tell you that they are good. And they will, they will tell you the things that they wouldn't do because they are good. I remember, I, I distinctly remember this, I think I've told you, I've told you about it before, but I remember <clears throat> talking to a guy, and um, <clears throat> he, you know, he, he's there talking, and he's telling me about how good, and he's obviously in a huge amount of trouble with the police, he's in a huge amount of trouble in every area of his life, and he's sitting there, and he's telling me, now, I would never beat up a granny. <laughs> now, literally, this was, I would never beat up a granny, because that could be somebody's mother. And what he was doing is this. He was saying he had a limit to how bad he would be. Uh, he, in fact, he was a good guy because he never beat up grannies, right? Now, now listen, you laugh at that, but you do the same thing too. You're good because there are certain things that you wouldn't do. There are a lot of things that you know you should do, but you don't do. And that, But they're okay. There are certain things you won't do. Now, what we need to do is we need to take the Word of God and apply it. We need to look at the Word of God, and if it says you're wrong, then you're wrong, Lord. What do I do to change? And we change. Now, the Spirit of God is given to us to enable us to change at that point, but the Spirit of God never forced anybody to change. He doesn't do that. What he does is he shows you the Word of God, he shows you that he has the power to enable you, and then he says to you to do it. 
And as you step out in faith, he puts his hand behind you and he enables you to do it. But if you don't take and apply the word of God, what happens is you don't change. And then you have to make up a reason in your own mind why you don't change. And we've got the word of God and we stand upon the word of God as a Baptist church, but very often we're not actually letting it apply to our lives. We're not doing the word of God. And oftentimes we're satisfied to know the word of God. You know, I tell our kids in the Christian school, you know, everything they do, uh, the Word of God is involved in it. Every pace they look at, uh, they get learn verses, they hear the Word of God. All through the day, they're faced with the Word of God, and that's great. And they need that. They need God's perspective on it. But there needs to be another step involved for them because they need to actually take and apply it. And I told him the other day, I said, listen, if you go through LifeGate Christian School, learn all the verses, study all the passages, know the Bible inside out, and you walk out of here and don't apply it, you're a bigger fool than anybody else because you heard more and didn't apply it. You see, it's the application of the Word of God in our lives that actually produces the change. It's the taking and applying of the Word of God. Now, look, for a minute here, don't think of somebody else who needs to apply certain parts of the Word of God. Because I guarantee you, you need to apply some parts of it. I guarantee you there are, there are areas in your life where you need to actually take and apply it. Ask the Lord to show you the areas that you need to change. And then plan to change them. Plan to turn them around. You've been listening to something by Dave Ramsey. Some of you have uh, listened to Dave Ramsey. He's a financial uh, guy, Christian financial guy, which, which is helpful. But his whole deal is based upon this. He says, look, it's not about what you know. It's not about me teaching you new things to do. It's about you actually putting into practice what you know. And you can learn all the facts and figures. You can have all the issues of finances available to you. You can know it all, but if you don't apply it, your finances are going to be in a wreck and a ruin all your life. You've got to actually put it into place in your life. That's the way it goes. Listen, the Word of God is like that. Your life will not be a mess if you consistently apply the Word of God. In fact, what you'll find is, you'll find as you consistently apply the Word of God in your life, you will walk out of the mess. Your life will change as you consistently do what God would have you to do. You're going to notice your life going in a completely different direction. Listen, every blessing that I have in my life... um, partially is caused by the fact that I've obeyed the Word of God. Every area that's amiss in my life, partial responsibility lies in the fact that there are things in the Word that I've not done. And it's the same for everybody in this room. The Word of God will thoroughly furnish you unto all good works. It will make you perfect in the sense of being mature, and it will thoroughly furnish you unto all good works. But you've got to apply it. The issues in our life today are not because we don't know enough. They're not because we can't. The issues in our life today are because we know but won't do. And we become foolish. We become foolish based on that. So the first thing we've got as a Baptist church is we've got the Word of God. Aren't you so glad you don't have to come to here on a Sunday morning and hear me uh, reading some homily that somebody wrote based on an article they read in a magazine? A lot of places you would go, you would hear that. Aren't you so glad that you don't have uh, some self-help book being promoted from the pulpit? By the way, the church was in last Sunday. 
uh, I don't know what the guy had been reading, but he'd been reading some <clears throat> uh, some self-help book or other, and he was he, he was he was he was he was bringing it to the Bible, but it didn't connect to the Bible at all. And um, he was misinterpreting the scripture. It was driving me nuts. Now I'm sitting there, and I, he's speaking in Armenian, so I have no idea what he's saying. And he dallows, re, will lean over and say, he's saying this, and, and he's saying this. And, and I'm getting, I want to walk out, and be, simply because he's, you know, it's not that, he's, that, that, that he doesn't know. He's butchering the scripture. He's taking the scripture and going all the wrong directions, and he's misleading the people. Aren't you so glad that we have a truth that's black and white that we can follow? By the way, you know what? If you get led astray by a preacher, it's your own fault. Because Paul said to the Bereans that they were more noble because they went home and checked the scriptures to see if the things that they heard were true. They went home and they looked at those things. Uh, Let me say this to you fathers. Fathers, you need to be students of the scripture. Diligent student of the scripture. All of you do. But fathers in particular, you need to be diligent. You're the, you're the priest in your family. You're, you, you're the head of your household. You're the leader in your family. You need to be a diligent student of the scripture. Won't do you much good to be a diligent student if you're not actually applying it in your own life. But you need to be a diligent student. You know what I find when I'm, when I'm studying for a message? You know, listen, there's, there's a desire to share it. There's a desire to talk to somebody about it. There's a desire to, to, to let somebody else know. Oh, always it's there. All, all preachers will. I mean, if I phone Ori when he's in the middle of studying, you know, uh, what's going to happen is he's going to talk about what he's studying. Because it's just, well, what's happening there is you're studying the Word of God and it's overflowing in your life. You know, dads, if you would do that in your home, if you would study the Word of God so that it was overflowing in your life, so that your kids were hearing the truth, the nuggets, the gems from the Word of God that you were uncovering, would really be a help in your home. would really be a tremendous help in your home. If you could teach your children to be students of the Word, would be a real help. You know, one of the blessings that I had when I was away, <clears throat> there were... Um, there was a group of six people from the north of Ireland over helping Frank and Edel with their house, right? there, uh, they, they, they bought a house and they're... Um, <clears throat> now, what they bought, you wouldn't call a house. You would have called it a shed, but it was an Armenian house, right? We're, we're fine as far as Armenia is concerned, but they, they're turning it into a house. Uh, and it's turning into quite a nice house. But there was a group over helping them to actually build it uh, with, with the work on it. And there were four boys in their early 20s in it. You know, each one of those four boys was ready at any time to open the Word and to give a challenge from the Word of God. One guy was particularly good at it, and I was kind of amazed. These are four guys. They've taken time off work. They all have jobs and plumbers and electricians and so on. They've taken time off work to go and help uh, Frank and Edel with the work they're doing. And I was just, I was just impressed. And <clears throat> what is it that has these four 20-year-olds uh, wanting to serve God in that way? And you, you, you talk to Edel about it, and Edel said, well, well they're from... Each one of them is from a home uh, where dad speaks in church and they're students of the word. So that each of these boys has learned to be students of the word. So that it's just there for them. Each one of them has learned that, that they've become, and they speak in their own assembly, and um, they've become students of the word. Lord, listen, dad, be a student of the word. Be somebody who's in the word. Be somebody who's in the word and overflowing so that your kids are catching truth. Uh, from your lips all the time. And encourage them to do the same. Encourage them to be students of the word, to dig for the nuggets of the word themselves so that they can be blessed by it and want to bless others. But we stand upon the Bible as a Baptist church and we need to always stand there. 
We need to make sure that never moves. It needs to be the Word of God, and the Word of God needs to be our standard, and we need to stand on it no matter what happens. No matter what the government says, no matter what anybody else says, we need to stand upon the Word of God. Secondly, though, a Baptist church requires that people have to be saved and baptized before they can join the church. Realize that we have a membership here. Now, I understand that maybe all of you don't understand the, the, the membership role and so on, but we have a membership. And in order to become a member of the church, you need to be saved and baptized. Now, that's not so in all churches. There are a lot of churches where you can be saved and you can be a member. There are a lot of churches where you become a member because you attend. Now, but strictly speaking, biblically, right? In Acts 2.41, it says, And the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. Right? And it says, and they that gladly received the word and were baptized were added unto them. Right? So listen, you need to receive the word, you need to be saved, born again, and then you need to be baptized in order to be a member here. <clears throat> Why? Because when you join a church, you're joining a functioning body, you're becoming part of a body, you, you have a say in what goes on here, you're part of it. Right? So, obviously, it needs to be that people need to be saved and born again. That's why people have to give a testimony before they get baptized and before they join the church. Because it needs, they need to show the fact that they're saved. They need to actually declare the fact that they're saved. That's important. Right? It's important for the church. It's important for you. The third thing about a Baptist church is each church handles its own affairs. Right? That's called, in big terms, the autonomy of the local church. Right? But each church handles its own affairs. There is no head office that writes to us and tells us what to do. We decide what we're going to do. Right? Apart from what the Scripture says to us, in all our matters of business, uh, we decide what we're going to do. We as a congregation come together, and the membership come together, and we decide what we're going to do. Now, let me, let me give you a couple of the benefits of that. Do you realize that in many churches, a uh, head office picks the pastors? Right? Even Bible churches. And so head office decides, well, it's time to move him on to get him experience somewhere else. And so they take me and send me somewhere else. And they send somebody in that you've got no affinity with and you've got no connection with. And he becomes the pastor here. Really, that's dreadful. Baptist people have always held to the right to organize their own affairs as a congregation. That's an important right. You know, something else, there are many churches where <clears throat> when it comes to buying and selling buildings and, uh, and the finances of the church, uh, <clears throat> you know, the people really don't have a say. You know, there, 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 was a, there was an assembly here in Dublin, and they had a historic building, and it was a historic building. Moody had preached in it, and Spurgeon had preached in it. And one day the elders decided to sell it. The people weren't behind it. They didn't want to do it, but they didn't have a say. And so the building went, and I remember talking to some of the people, and they were really upset that the building was going, that the building was moved. You know what? That doesn't happen in a Baptist church because you have a say in what happens here. Let, let, let me encourage you. Listen, that, that's, that's, a, that's a blessing that a Baptist church has that you need to hold on to, that you need to make sure that you never lose. <clears throat> now, how are you going to hold on to that? Listen, you need to be more than just an attender. You know, listen, you can come on a Sunday morning, and I'm so glad you come on a Sunday morning. I'm glad you come to hear the Word. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're blessed by it. It's a blessing to have you here. But you know what? You need to do more than just be uh, an attender. You need to be a member of the church. You need to be a part of what's going on here. You need to come in and, you know, put your hand on it and say, listen, I'm, I, I'm part of this church. Become a member of the church and attend the meetings of the church. Uh, you know, you, you need to be a full part of what God is doing here. 
And in order for you to be a full part of what God is doing here, you need to be committed. You need to be attending the services. You need to attend the meetings. That We don't have a lot of business meetings, but you need to attend those meetings when they come up. And you need to shoulder your responsibility as a member. And this is my church. You see, God has given us blessings. I believe God has given us a wonderful church. But you know what? Our church will only stay what it is as long as we as a people stay what it is. And you know, for my part, I want to be fully involved. I want to be fully involved because I want to have a say in what goes on around here. You should too. You should get fully involved so you can have a say in what's going on in the the church. The Baptist church handles its own affairs. Baptists also believe that nobody should be forced to believe in a certain way. All right, listen, there are a lot of cults out there that really, you know, decimate the scriptures. But Baptist people have always believed that you should not force them to believe in a different way. Right? Now, where does that come from? You see, Baptists have been a persecuted people through the centuries. Baptists have been uh, caught on both sides. The Catholic Church and the Protestant Church have caught Baptists, and, 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 and they've been an offense to both because of their stand on baptism uh, in the Word of God. And um, they've been caught on both sides. So Baptist people recognize, I can't force you to believe anything. I can't force you to change anything. And so there may be people out there who believe differently. We may give them the truth, but you know what? It's not our job to force them to change. It's not our job to force somebody to change their thinking uh, and to turn around. Remember, remember the stories about the penal laws? Any of you, <clears throat> any of you were in, our, in an Irish history class, you've heard about the penal laws. That's one of our ancient hatreds, our old bitternesses. Right now, we do, folks, we do have to let them go. Right? Uh, we have to stop hating England at some point. It's a long time ago. Uh, we had to put it in the past uh, and let it be gone. But here's what England did. Um, England, when Henry VIII changed England to being uh, Protestant, obviously they wanted their whole empire to, 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 to be changed, and so they wanted Ireland to change as well. So what they did was they said, well, we'll help them change. We'll make laws that make it very hard to be a Catholic. So they did. They made laws that made it very hard to be a Catholic. If you were a Catholic, you couldn't get, get an education. Uh, you couldn't go to Mass. Uh, you couldn't own property. You know, listen, it was pretty bad. It, it, it was, it was, the laws were intended on stamping out Catholicism. But you know what? You can't force people to change their believing. And you know what happened? That's when Catholicism went deep into the blood system of the Irish people. And they became Catholic and they weren't ever going to give it up. Because you can't force people to change. You see, God's given everybody a free will. And people choose what they're going to believe and nobody can make them change. So we need to understand that, that you know, it's never our job to force other other people. It's not likely that we'll ever be in power. But imagine if there was a Baptist doll and a Baptist president and everybody was together and so on. You know what? They would just need to leave things as they are and let everybody believe as they want to believe because that's not what you do. That's not true of all religions, folks. Even to this day, that's not true of all religions. But Baptist uh, people uh, believe that nobody should be forced to believe in a certain way. Baptists also believe that every believer can go directly to God and not through a priest. You don't need a priest. You don't need to go to God through me. That's why I don't wear a collar, right? Because I'm not a priest. You're your own priest. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You go directly to him for yourself. Do you know that the Pope of Rome has held sway over an empire through the ages? And his sway has been this, right? If you don't do what we tell you to do, 
we will excommunicate your people and your whole nation will go to hell. I mean, that, isn't that amazing? That's an amazing power. And it worked for a long time as far as the world was concerned. But you know what? The truth is, no, he's not the mediator. And Mary's not the mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You can go directly to God through Jesus anytime and any day that you like. And listen, that is your right as a blood-bought child of God. You need to hold on to it real tight. Don't ever let that be taken away from you. You don't need somebody else to go to God for me. God deals with each one of us as individuals. Yeah, sure, there's organization in the church. There's pastors and there's deacons and there's and there are the people. But you know what? <clears throat> you don't go to God through somebody else. You go to God directly for yourself. <clears throat> You're a blood-bought child of God. Um, <clears throat> Baptist people believe that there are only two ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, <clears throat> ordinances are things that Jesus told us to do. He said, do these things. They are not sacraments. You know, whenever we have baptism, we usually have somebody who's kind of a little bit confused about it and wondering, um, what does it mean? It's simply a step of obedience. It's doing what Jesus told us to do. That's all it is. It's very important. It's very important to do what Jesus told us to do. In fact, it's the first step of obedience in many cases. So, so you need to do, if you've not been baptized and you're born again, you need to get baptized. Because it's important that you obey what the Lord Jesus Christ told you to do. But it's not a sacrament. It doesn't give you special grace. It doesn't move you up in God's estimation. It doesn't change anything. It's just a step of obedience. All right? And the Lord's Supper, <clears throat> the Lord's Supper is a memorial. It's something Jesus said, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It's a memorial. We remember the fact that Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for our sins. It's a memorial service of what he did. And it's not more than that. We need to recognize it as that. <clears throat> Uh, then there are two officers in the church. There's the pastor and the deacon. <clears throat> you know, the pastor uh, is the same word, the elder, bishop, uh, <clears throat> pastor, all the same person, and um, <clears throat> just deals with different aspects of the ministry. But there's two officers. There's not a hierarchy involved in the church. You know, there's not the, the bishop and the archbishop and the cardinal and the pope. There's, you know, there's just two officers in, in the church. And then the, the, the last thing is the state should not rule the church and the church should not rule the state. Ireland would have been greatly helped if somebody had taught them that principle a long time ago. Right? But the, the, the state and the church often get intertwined and it becomes a problem. And the, Jesus said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God. There's a difference between the two authorities and between the two powers. Right? Now, look, I'm giving you quick. By the way, I put those things in the bulletin for you. So you have those, just those eight facts uh, in the bulletin there for you, for you to look at and for you to, 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 to go through. But <clears throat> that's what it means to be a Baptist church. Right? Now, we're not landmark Baptists that spend our time kind of tracing our heritage back to John the Baptist. You know, and we're not Baptist briders that say, well, the Baptist church is the only bride of Christ. But we are Baptists because we stand on truth. That's found in the scripture, and it's important truth. It's become popular in our day and age to cast off the name Baptist. And you know why people cast it off? They cast off the name Baptist so they can appeal to the crowd. You know what's wrong with that? That's dishonest. Because as soon as they get in here, they're going to find out that we're Baptists anyway. Because they're important truths that we need to hold on to. They're important truths that we need to lay hold of. <clears throat> it's not just a word to fill in the gap. It means something. It identifies us. 
It makes us a certain people. And I realize, you know, uh, you know, your favorite topic for a sermon is not how to be a Baptist. I understand that. And I won't preach many sermons like this telling. But understand this, that if you don't hold on to it, you lose it. You know what? Somebody has said this. All that it takes for evil men to succeed is for a good man to do nothing. Sometimes good men do nothing because they don't know. You need to know there are certain things about your church and about your life that are important. They're not the things that you wake up every morning to and you go to sleep every day to. They're not the things in your life that are like that, but they're bedrock in your life. They're things that are key, that are issues. And if you don't hold on to them as that, you know what happens? What happens is you end up losing it. Listen, LifeGate is a Baptist church. By God's grace, we'll always be a Baptist church. That's not saying everybody else is wrong. That's not saying, you know, what, we're not criticizing anybody else. We're not spending our time taking pot shots at everybody else. But what we are is what we are. And if we're going to thrive as a church, we need to take and delight in what we are. We need to understand what we are, and we need to delight in what we are. One of the things they say about a growing church is that the people think it's a great church. In their hearts, they think it's a great church. And they well, you know what? Listen, that's not hard to work out. Because something you think is great, you talk about. You tell other people about. Listen, you buy a new car, and listen, it's the bee's knees as far as a new car is concerned. You know what? You'll talk about it. You get a new washing powder, ladies, that cleans all those, you know, those uh, those grass stains out of white clothes. And listen, I'm telling you, you're going to talk about it. You're, you know, listen, when you look at your church and you believe your church is somewhere good, somewhere exciting, somewhere great to be, what happens is you talk about it and you want other people to come to it. Now, look, <clears throat> I'm giving you the bare bones, the, 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 the nuts and bolts of what it means to be a Baptist. You can go and you can check it out. You can look up the scripture. You should do that. You should sort those things out. You should work your way through those things. But you know what you need to do? You need to settle it. You need to dig in. You need to recognize this is who I am. Now, listen. If you decide this is who I am and this is where I'm going, you, you got a problem. <clears throat> because it's going to define you somewhat. You can't just be fluid and say, well, you know what? There's a nicer church down the road. It's not Baptist. It's something else. But I think I'll go there. You know what? You're digging in. Be the best thing that ever happened to you for you to dig in. Because you can't flow around and float around. It's really dangerous for us. What we need is we need to recognize who we are as a people. We need to respect it. We need to uh, decide on it personally. And then we need to promote it. We need to talk about it and encourage other people to come to. Now, look, Baptist is never going to be what we're about in terms of the gospel. The gospel is what we're about. But Baptist is who we are. And we need to make sure that we hold on to that. Listen, I would encourage you. Listen, <clears throat> check it out. Come to me if you want some books. I'll give you some books. There's, there's endless amount of books to read as far as these things are concerned. Uh, there are people that are so passionate about it, uh, you know, that they, that they make it their life's work. I, I, I'm not like that about it. But listen, I am so glad that I'm a Baptist. Not because it was just a Baptist church that I got saved into, but because I've looked at the other churches. And I'm glad. I'm a Baptist, and I'm glad I'm a member of this church, and I intend, by God's grace, to stay just that. And let me encourage you to do the same, to dig in. All right, so <clears throat> we're going to look at three different, di- different messages on it, but today we looked at the fact that LifeGate is a Baptist church, and by God's grace, may it always be a Baptist church. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this church and for 
Lord, your hand upon this church and for your blessings and, Lord, for all that we've seen from you in this church. And, Lord, we come to you, Lord. Lord, we know it's nothing of us. We know we're not a great people. We know that there's nothing in us that would make us great in your eyes. But, oh, Lord, we do long to be used of you. And, Lord, we thank you that you have used us in the past. And, oh, Lord, we plead. Lord, may there be greater things in the future. Lord, we plead with you for the breath of your spirit to blow through this place. Lord, may it be that you lay hold upon us and you shake us loose of the world and draw us close to you once again. Lord, may it be that we melt in your presence, Lord, and that all the obstacles and all the opposition in our hearts to truth, Lord, just fade away. And Lord, may this people embrace the truth they know. And Lord, may it be that we live it and we walk with you in it. And oh, Lord, may we be a holy people. Lord, I pray for our young people. Blessed Spirit of the living God. Lord, our only hope is you. Would you take and would you lay hold upon each one, Lord? Would you break hearts where there's sin, Lord? Uh, Would you bring truth to mind? Uh, Lord, would you overcome the enemy where he's the one that's doing the damage? Lord, where there's uh, a parent or or, or, a mother that needs to deal with sin themselves, or may may that be dealt with. But, oh, Lord, don't let our young people be be lost to your cause and uh, go to the world, Lord. May it be that your hand and your power... Uh, rest upon this church, Lord. May there be a breaking, may there be a changing, may there be uh, the power of God fall upon this place in such a mighty way that all of us are changed. Now, Lord, we look to you, we we depend upon you. We can't do it, Lord. But, Lord, we've seen you do it in the past. And, oh, Lord, we long to see you do it again. Lord, would you do it, we plead in Jesus' precious name. Amen.